Cheers. Welcome to Culture Night. Where each week we're doing fancy wine and watch movies that are in some way culturally significant. I'm Andrew. And I'm Sarah. And we are back for season three, episode seven. Mm -hmm. Still chugging along with these musicals, but Mm -hmm. having fun doing it, man. Getting uh, closer to the more modern ones. I guess we Mm -hmm. kind of did a more recent one. Yeah, but that's getting really yeah. close to being 20 years ago. God, yeah, I guess like movies that musicals like, like came out during our lifetime, I think of as like the newer ones. But like, yeah, it's been a minute. Yeah. Honestly, I think most of the season has been in the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Crazy. So close. It feels so so close, but it was... So close yet so, so very, very far. So long ago. All right. So I don't think I have any podcast business. Do you have any podcast no business? No new milestones this week? No milestones. Sorry. Yeah. Well, keep uh, subscribing and following and doing whatnot on all those uh, platforms. We appreciate you all. Um, but now it's time to jump in what we're drinking. This week, we are drinking the... 2016 Pinot Noir from the Arroyo Grande Valley by Tobin James. Another Pinot Noir. It's been a while. I guess we haven't done one since the um, film noir genre. Surprised we didn't drink all the ones we had during that, that season. I think we did break it up a little bit, but you act like we have this really organized cellar where we know what we have. Yeah, we did go like several weeks in a row with the Pinot Noir, and then I think you wanted to change it up just a little bit. But yeah, let's uh, let's try this one out. Ooh, smells very different from last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more of like the the dark fruit raisin that I'm I know and love so much. We're back. Less jammy, more mm-hmm. dark fruit, and a little bit more of earthy tones. Oh, for sure. Yeah. still tastes pretty bright though yeah but i get some of that like bright fall spicy flavors Mm -hmm. yeah on that first taste it's very pleasant yeah very smooth not super tart or alcohol forward at all Mm -hmm. very pleasant to drink um not super thick but but very very Mm -hmm. smooth Um, yeah i mean i tend to think of pinot noirs as being a thinner Mm mm-hmm clearer i was trying to think of like what i'm what i'm tasting there and it's like it's not quite like a a juice like uh flavor like a artificial juice or anything like that um but definitely i can't really quite put my finger on on the flavor i think it's just really good wine yeah (laughs) it tastes like good wine yeah i'm trying to get a good look at the color i didn't pour this one Mm -hmm. seems kind of it's definitely like not like you said not as thick a much more transparent mm-hmm. looking in color and more of like a maroon not mm-hmm. so bright red but delicious so far yeah all right so are you ready to go behind the screens always mm-hmm. it's time to go behind the screens where each week we go behind the big screens of hollywood and learn more about some aspect of film production or storytelling so this week we are exploring the role of the sound mixer which <laughs> actually is exactly what you thought think it is. <laughs> I thought that was gonna be some kind of joke about how I didn't I was not prepared with things hey I at least hit the right button it's not at all what you think no this for this week it actually is exactly what you think but there are some interesting notes there um this information comes from masterclass.com but um it the role of the sound mixer starts you know in the pre-production um where they are responsible for um either providing or obtaining the equipment they'll need in order to um, record obviously the audio for the movie um, you know, microphones windscreens boom mics all that sort of stuff um, but they also have to go out and scout the locations 
um, to make sure that it's something that they can actually get the audio in or that they're going to have to adapt to? Like, is it um, very windy there? Is there going to be a lot of like foot traffic or car traffic nearby? What are the acoustics like? All of those things. Is it a modern restaurant that has absolutely nothing that will absorb sound and is just one giant Mm -hmm. sound? What, echo chamber? Echo chamber, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, all all those things you have to kind of be aware of um, in order to make sure that they are prepared when it actually comes time for the shoot because, you know, you don't want to be out there record this amazing scene and then the audio sounds all muddy or um, a lot of like background noise kind of uh, makes it not usable. Uh, They also then in pre-production assemble their team of boom operators, assistants, trainees, whatnot to uh, help monitor sound levels, help get everyone set up with microphones, help, you know, get the microphones in place during, during and before the shoot um, setting up and uh, that'll help set up and tear down all the audio equipment as well. Um, and that's, you know, all just the pre-production aspect of it. Uh, during the production, they are there on, on set, um, making sure that they are recording, obviously, like the dialogue and the important uh, main parts of the audio. But they'll also go around, at the, go around at the locations and record, like, what they call, like, wild sound, just like the, the nearby that. sound of, like, waves crashing or insects or things. For the, so they can use that, like, for B-roll or to um, include in the, in the scene if there isn't, like, you know, that sound that they wanted, mm-hmm. um, to make sure they stick Bump around that up to, in the background. to get that up. Yeah. To kind of provide more, more ambiance there. Um, and they are actually doing most of the mixing in real time because they want to actually make sure that the audio that they have is, um, usable for, for what they need. They don't want to get an all the way to post-production and realize that the entire sound, you know, won't work or won't balance right or sounds off. So they're doing all of that, like in real time. And then the, the Foley artist comes mm-hmm. in at the end and layers in anything else. We'll get to that in a second. Oh. Um, Sorry, I was just excited because I knew something that has to do with this. Um, well, I guess, yeah, I can go to that. So during during post-production, the uh, sound mixer's kind of job is, is done. There is a um, re-recording mixer and the Foley artist that we kind of mentioned in previous weeks where they're responsible for, um, well, the Foley artist, as we mentioned, is there to add like sound effects that didn't exist using all sorts of different tools and trickery to, to kind mm-hmm. of repli- replicate those sounds. And the re-recording mixer is there to either you know balance the audio because you know the dialogue is taken at all different locations, different times, different microphones, whatnot, making sure that everything is level and, and sounds right in post-production, um, and then re-record anything they need to um, to like you know uh, I guess like dub over in some things or just add to the background um, as needed. And finally, uh, the sound mixer is the, the most senior position um, of like that, I guess, tower. That would make sense. Um, a lot of times they start as like the boom mic uh, assistant or just like the uh, assistant or trainee and doing a lot of the, uh, you know, grunt work there and kind of work their way up to this position. But it's not really seen as like a bridge to like another position. It's kind of like you work your way up to be the sound mixer um, and really specialize and are really passionate about the, the audio portion. Yeah, I mean, I can tell you what from editing a podcast for six months I don't I mean what we do like bare minimum the mm-hmm. fact that we even have these microphones was a huge like step up and advancement for us but I mean there I think is a lot of nuance to mixing sound mm-hmm. and audio and getting all the levels just right and I'm sure we're not excellent in any mm-hmm. way shape or form that the equipment does all the work for us for the most part but yeah, it's so definitely an art for sure something that people don't really appreciate unless it's done pretty terribly and I think lately a lot of sound mixers have kind of like gotten a lot of heat because people are complaining because they can't hear the dialogue in a lot of the shows that they're watching. Um, and I think that is not necessarily the sound mixer's fault because they are like for movies, they're, they're balancing the sound to uh, sound really good in like a movie theater full on, you know, 7.1 or, or more like surround sound system and all that has all, has all those channels. But people are watching these on their like cheap, you know, super thin flat screen TV 
in their room that has, you know, no, you know, acoustic dampening materials and whatnot. And so, uh, us. <laughs> and so you've got, well, now we have like a surround sound system yes, here. Yeah. We are, like we're getting better. It was pretty bad. Dedicated for that dialogue. And when you have that, you can hear the sound perfectly and it sounds way better. But when it's all condensed into these tiny, super thin little speakers uh, that are basically projecting straight into your wall. Yeah. It's going to be hard to hear all those nuance with all the other stuff going on there. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that sound mixers have like gone away or gotten worse. I think it's just um, more the fault of these super thin TVs that people don't have um, yeah. the appropriate like speakers for hearing it how it was meant to be how how it was meant to sound yeah that definitely makes sense yeah it's definitely a position that i appreciate a lot more now than i did mm-hmm. a couple months ago but um good on them i'm sure that's a very skilled position that mm-hmm. you'd have to have especially all the like the stuff you don't even think about like you said the acoustics and the the pre-work before you even get to the scene of what do we need to add here to absorb sound so that you can hear this or mm-hmm. do xyz i think that's also fascinating yeah gotta work with like all the you know set designers and coordinators and everything to make sure that like hey could we record somewhere else instead because we'll be able to get better audio mm-hmm. it's definitely a important thing to kind of note early yep and so now it is time to move into slept on it for last week's movie, which was rent. And does your rating change after sleeping on it? You rated it a 7.3 and I rated it a 6.1. Um, I don't think so. I think I was, you know, pretty high with the 7.3 and I don't think it goes any higher or lower. I, I really do enjoy the movie. Um, we didn't listen to the soundtrack as much this week as I, I thought we would. Um, we've been so busy. There has not right. been time. <laughs> this week has flown, flown by. I feel like just yesterday we were recording last week's episode. Um, but I think I'm pretty, pretty happy with this point through there, but I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Yes, I am definitely bumping it up probably to a seven. I was between seven and 7.1, but mm-hmm. seven feels good. I do think it has big cultural significance for its time. And I think long-term just being a voice for a lot of people that didn't have a voice at the time of the original musical coming out and then the movie coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, I still just, the fact that there's just so much songs and less dialogue, I personally, I just, that's hard for me to follow mm-hmm. in a movie. You so a little break between there. Yeah. I, I don't love that. And I, again, I wish we'd put like captions on or something so that I could have followed what was going on. So I kind of mm-hmm. felt a little lost. Um, so that was more in the storytelling aspect of it. But I think from a like cultural standpoint and it does have great songs. The cast was really great. Mm-hmm. I think that you, f- you could tell they like really felt their roles deep that, um, yeah, seven is where I'm at now. Yeah. I felt like for the first half of the movie, like I said, I was really struggling to keep up with what was going on. It had like just enough context to really follow it. But I was, um, by the end of the movie, I, they all kind of came together and it was pretty obvious like what was happening or what had happened. Mm-hmm. So are you ready for some behind the scenes info, fun facts, deep dives, all the things that I have? I am. Let's all right. So, um, so one of the things we talked about while we were watching the movie and during the podcast was that they say the word rent a lot in the movie. And I looked it up and I couldn't find it definitively, but I think it's said only around 25 times. Really? And that's just from the script. So I don't know if that counts like the chorus of people saying like rent, 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 like all the same time. Mm-hmm. If it's just like, was like, just put it there as one time, like other rent. Um, but as far as like find and replace, mm-hmm. it was about 25 times. So Interesting. I would have said like 125 times. Yeah, for sure. Especially in the, even just the first like couple minutes. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, um, we also talked about like what the cultural significance of this movie was and just like looking into it some more. And, um, Emily Lancaster from Western Kentucky University wrote her a thesis statement on the cultural significance of rent. And I just liked her quote that was in the like, um, 
abstract of mm-hmm. the thesis. It said, Rent gave struggling artists, drag queens, and those suffering from HIV AIDS a voice during a time in which they were being pushed aside and disposed of by the mainstream media. And I think, I mean, going along to what mm-hmm. I just said and what we were talking about last week, that, you know, that was stuff that was probably not in, it's definitely not a common theme in mm-hmm. the Broadway theater productions where this started from and is becoming more of something that we're giving voice to in mm-hmm. the 2020s, but back in the early mid nineties and two thousands was not something yeah, that was probably like it was, I mean, um, it was definitely like not okay to really make movies or talk about like being gay or HIV or AIDS, like at that time at all. So like have all of that all in one movie, you know, was very, um, you know, a big deal, I guess, to, mm-hmm. to try to uh, break those barriers. Definitely. And then one other quote that I read that I thought was really interesting. Um, I believe this was from an interview from Esquire magazine, 20 years after, not, it's not been 20 years, 20 years after the theater, mm-hmm. theatrical or not theater. Yeah, the Broadway production came out. A musical that was once shocking and groundbreaking is now tame enough for live television production. And that's proof of its mainstream success. Cause I think they read, they did a real live, mm-hmm. um, live stream on, um, in 2019. So something that was probably very outrageous at the time that they're mm-hmm. now just like doing it on an ABC or whatever is Crazy. we've come a long way, a mm-hmm. lot of work to do, but I think that this definitely stands firm in the cultural mm-hmm. zeitgeist. Is that a word? Sure. Sounds right to me. Oh, man, I keep making up these words and you're mm-hmm. not confirming whether or not they're real. So. I mean, I definitely know the word zeitgeist. And I think mm-hmm. that that kind of applies there. Yeah. Um, and then we talked a lot about Disney princesses because Adina Menzel goes on to become Elsa and we were incorrect. Elsa and Anna are not official Disney princesses. Really? Yep. They, well, I read a couple different things that whether like they both end up becoming queen of Arendelle. So they are not actually princesses. And then also the frozen franchise is so large that they didn't need to be grouped into the princesses because like Olaf and Kristoff and like all those other characters are big with them. So they are kind of their own unit. So that means that Adina Menzel and Sarah Silverman are in the same category of unofficial Disney princesses with Sarah Silverman's Wreck-It Ralph category. I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, I, I consider Dis- them all Disney princesses, but... Disney princess is a, like, it's a, it's a tough club to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, Sophia and Elena of Avalor are also not official Disney princesses. <laughs> Um, and then Too just exclusive for my, my taste, right? Um, a couple more behind the scenes things. Um, in an interview with Chris Columbus, he uh, mentioned that he um, at one point was talking about hiring Justin Timberlake, Christina Aguilera, Beyonce, and Alicia Keys to star in the movie. Wow, what a different movie it would have been! Yeah, I, I think it would have taken away some of the um, you know, focus on the actual topics by having that many. I mean, obviously, Adina Menzel is a big name now, but I don't mm-hmm. think she was at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're taking some focus away from that and been more around like, hey, we're just going to ignore the lyrics and look at these actors. Mm-hmm. Um, I do love that they had most of the um, actual Broadway performers doing mm-hmm. it. I do too. And I think you could just tell that it meant a lot to them and that they were, they, they knew those characters. They've been doing it forever. And mm-hmm. um, I think, I mean, although I would love to have seen a version with all of those big name singers, but I don't, I don't think it would have been the cultural phenomenon that it is today without that. And then just a quick, couple quick notes about um, Jonathan Larson, who was the man that wrote the Broadway production. He, um, the, it started as a play that was just intended to be read through on set on stage. It was not a like production of acting and stuff. It was more of a, like we're telling the story mm-hmm. kind of um, theater show. It was not a Broadway production. And then after a three year collaboration, it got moved into the off Broadway category. And tragically 
the night before it was to premiere in Off-Broadway, he died suddenly of an of aortic disse- dissection. Yikes. And he'd been, apparently been going to the doctor and stuff, and he was misdiagnosed at two different hospitals. And they, the, they believe that if he had been um, diagnosed correctly, he would have lived. But he was only 35 years old. Yikes. So, I mean, I kept reading, like, he tragically died the night before, and I mean, I was honestly expecting, like, suicide or something, mm-hmm. or just the way it was being portrayed, and then to see that he was 35, and just something was wrong, and nobody caught it in time, and he never got to see the, mu- the actual musical mm-hmm. full performance of it on stage with the crowd, and they cast, actually, um, w- with the um, blessing of his parents, they were like, I don't know, do we even go on mm-hmm. to perform, and they said that they were just going to sit at tables and read it, um, and like sing while sitting down because they just didn't know they had the heart in it. Mm-hmm. But by the time they got to like one of the first songs, they were like in full character, not no costumes, no props or anything. They were just mm-hmm. like performing it just because they felt these parts so deeply and wanted to do it for him. But Man, that's intense. Definitely a uh, tragic story to go along with another. I mean, the story itself of Rent is pretty tragic in so many ways, but mm-hmm. um, adds st- to it. Yeah, we still loved it. It just, again, still, I mean, so sad but just left me with this like cozy feeling of like family mm-hmm. comfort. I mean, it was a Christmas movie after all, right? Yes. There's Survey says Christmas, Christmas movie. Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> so that's all I have on rent. Any other thoughts? Um, I don't think so. Yeah. So let's move into tonight. What are we watching tonight? Uh, tonight we are watching Hairspray from 2007 um, and it is rated PG. So are you ready to go back into the time machine? Yeah, I thought you were pressing that. So let's hop into our time machine. We are heading back to 2007. The top three movies released that year were Spider-Man. I believe we've done a movie in 2007 before. No, sorry. This is Spider-Man 3. Spider-Man 3, grossing $336 million. Shrek the third. Good year for the third movies. Um, grossing $322 million. And Transformers, grossing $319 million. Thanks. So I put the top five in there mm-hmm. because I just needed to point out that Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Harry Potter number five, mm-hmm. was fifth of those movies. And Shrek the third was in second place. Like, did that many people really need to see the third movie in the Shrek yeah, franchise? Yeah, crazy because Harry Potter came out in July. It's not like it came out like end of the year. These mm-hmm. all kind of came out between May and July. And it's yeah. also had another Pirates of the Caribbean in there. Mm-hmm. It was a pretty stacked um, year for movies. Yeah. But apparently Shrek the third was a big Box and they were all hit. close though. The f- first was three hundred thirty-six million, and the fifth was two hundred ninety-two million. That's that's wild, but I'm still shocked that Harry Potter um, did not crush through all of those. Just shows that people, I guess, like superhero movies with Spider-Man three. Um, the top three songs released that year were "Irreplaceable" by Beyonce. Is that am I saying that right? Oh my God. <laughs> by Beyonce, um, "Umbrella" by Rihanna featuring Jay Z, and "The Sweet Escape" by Gwen Stefani featuring Akon. I also used all my self-control to just not copy and paste like the top 20 songs mm-hmm. because all of them, I was like, yes, yes, yes. I, I'm certain I spent 99 cents on iTunes for mm-hmm. every single one of the top like 25 hits of 2007. It's just a uh, era of bangers only for yeah. sure. It was, um, it was a great year for music and movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, love all those songs. Um, but back to Hairspray, have you seen it before? More times than I can even tell you. I am like about <laughs> to throw up, I'm so excited. <laughs> Um, well, I have not seen it, um, and I know pretty much nothing about the movie. Yeah, I was going to ask. I didn't know if you had any context for it. Um, mm-hmm. Also, I just need it to be known. I'm way more excited for this than I was for The Music Man. The Music mm-hmm. Man was like more of like middle school nostalgia. This movie, I just, oh my God, I love it so much. I have heard of it a lot more. Um, I honestly have no idea what to expect, though. 
You don't want to give any kind of guesses? Uh, I imagine it has something to do with a girl that wants to be a famous singer and she puts on hairspray to kind of like get her confidence. All right. That's, that's what it is. We'll so, find out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited for this one. It's a, mm, I, can't, I can't even say anything cause I'm afraid I'm gonna say too much. I love this movie. Um, and I will also go on record saying as I did see it in theaters in 2007. So I was one of, and I saw Harry Potter. So I was contributing mm-hmm. all of my money to. So your dollars are actually in those figures yep, we quoted there. Right there. <laughs> I did not see Shrek the third or Spider-Man or any of the other ones, but I did see these two movies that came out, I think a week apart. If I were, I'm going to go on record as saying, as I believe this movie came out July 20th, 2007. And it's not on there on the list. I know. Just saying, because, because Mm -hmm. it was like 2007 for me, it was like Harry Potter came out in July. I think this says July 11th. Um, Hairspray came out. I want to say it was July 20th, 2007. And High School Musical 2 premiered, I want to say August 17th of 2007. So it was Mm -hmm. like a summer of like all of my favorite things. And then the iPhone came out and Twitter started back when it was Twitter. Big year, 2007. Oh man, I didn't, I was wondering about like, I was thinking about iPods with talking about Mm -hmm. iTunes, but the iPhone throwing in there too, man. Without further ado, let's jump into Hairspray. Can't wait. Cheers. Cheers. Hairspray. Sorry, I love it so much. <laughs> it's like so nostalgic for me. I was texting my friends from high school the whole time. Oh, I just love it so much. It was certainly. <laughs> was it at all? I know. We'll, I'm sorry. We'll get into it. Jump it into the was, line. It was a musical for sure. <laughs> wow. Um, I'm calm now. Let's um, talk about the wine. Let's talk about the wine scale first. So the wine scale is a zero to 10 scale. Um, 10 obviously being the best thing in the, in the world. Zero, however, does not necessarily mean that it's a bad wine because all the wines we drink on the show are very good wines. So just because it has a low score does not mean it is bad. We just wanted to have a wider range of scores so that um, everything wasn't between like the, you know, 9.0 and, and yeah. scale. So that being said, uh, this wine, the 2019 Pinot Noir from Arroyo Grand Valley. In, Do you want me to go first? In Paso Robles? In Paso Robles. Um, what would you give it? I'm going to give it a 5.2. I was going to give it a 5.6. Oh, close. I was going to, it's going to go five, but it was, I mean, it was still mm-hmm. like, it was not bad in any way. Again, I feel like I say this every week. It's not bad, but like, they're not bad. Yeah. They're all so good. It fluctuated. It didn't do too much for me. I mean, it, 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 it felt like it was very steady. It was, right. it was good. It was not crazy complex. It didn't have a lot of like hidden crazy flavors. It was just, it didn't change much as consistent. we drank it. It was, it was very good. Um, I got some more of like, and it sounds stupid, some like grape flavor. Like, yeah, it's wine's made from grapes. But like some more of that, like, I almost feel like in a good way, like like the big league chew or like the grape snow cone, like some of that nostalgic grapes flavor that I was like, you know what? It's good, but you know, it, it's not amazing. It didn't have super complex notes to it, it mm-hmm. you know. But I I think most people who drink wine would very, very much enjoy yeah. that. That was very good. Again, I feel like I'm not a big normal Pinot Noir girl, but the Tobin James Pinot Noirs have all been mm-hmm. very solid. Yeah. I'm Definitely here for solid. it. Um, next up is the movie rating out of 10. This one's a bit more subjective. Um, I will go first with this one. Um, I generally rate my movies on like a, uh, on four main criteria being um, how much did I enjoy it? Uh, how rewatchable is it? If it was on 
how likely would I be to just like pick it up where it was on, on the channel and finish watching it and how quotable is it, um, which in this uh, season more how quotable is it is how likely am I to be to listen to the soundtrack mm-hmm. and have that blasting in our house. And he has those criteria and I always am like, what is my gut feeling when the movie Shoot ends? The hip. Until he then goes over his criteria and I'm like, mm, Second maybe guess. I need to readjust it. Third so guess, that's guess. how we are different. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And this one, I'm giving it, giving it a 6.1. Oh, man. Oh, that, that makes me feel good. I feel like some of the ones I've loved, you've really hated. Mm-hmm. That sixes, I feel like is solid. I'm going to give it a seven. Seven flat. Only a seven? You've been, you almost like cry. You're talking about how much you love this I, movie. I do, but I also like, we, I've seen Forrest Gump. And that I think is the, is the like pinnacle of what we are looking mm-hmm. for, for from this sh- podcast. Mm-hmm. And I love it. It is it is so like, <laughs> I can't even talk about it. It's so deeply nostalgic for me mm-hmm. and my friends. Like we loved this movie so much, but I also realized that it's not like the best movie. I don't think mm-hmm. it is the best movie ever. I think the soundtrack is phenomenal. Like mm-hmm. it's good. Definitely one of the best ones we've listened to. Just give me this week so we can listen to it on repeat <laughs> <laughs> and then you'll love it. We can, you have, you have the whole week to change my subs on score. Okay. Um, Challenge accepted. Like I thought the soundtrack was good. I I don't know how memorable it was because a lot of the songs like they were good in their in their moment, but it's not like I distinctly remember a particular song that I'm like, oh yeah, that was a banger. Let's go back and and listen to that one again. Mm-hmm. I mean, I will say I I have not watched this movie or listened to the soundtrack in a while. And this morning, before I knew we were watching it tonight, I was like, oh, I'll just like listen through the soundtrack a little bit and instantly i was like i forgot about the song oh my god i love the song oh my god this one oh my god this one and i had my airpods in and our poor children were like what is mom doing because i was like yes that's <laughs> that... having a seizure or something what is she doing <laughs> debatably why is she moving seizure. like that <laughs> our, our baby especially was like what is going on but it i will say there was more song to dialogue ratio than i remembered which i don't love still mm-hmm knowing the soundtrack backwards and forwards, I can follow the whole story. Having seen it a jillion times, it doesn't bother me as much, but it there was a lot more songs mm-hmm. than I remembered. I mean, I prefer uh, a heavier like song to dialogue ratio. I um, think just cause songs tend to be more fast paced and it's harder to follow what's going on for yeah, me. They also are dancing and showing what's going on. It, it's a bit easier. You don't have to listen to every single word. You also listen to things on triple speed. Right. But I, I, I also, um, I, I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, I, I get like, it can be a lot when a show is just, or a movie is all songs. You don't get that mental break to like sit there and think of like what you just like, you know, processed or mm-hmm. what you just heard. Um, that I, I did kind of, I like the ones that are like a, a 90, 10 split on the music to dialogue. Yeah. It's what, I'm Defin- re- it's what I'm learning from this season. Look at us. We're learning and growing. Mm-hmm. Getting cultured. Yes, all right. Right in front of our eyes. Are you ready to move into the movie description? No. Um, <laughs> I started panicking about this about like three quarters of the way through. I'm like, how do I even describe this? Um, it's a, a girl uh, in, I guess, the 50s in Baltimore. 60s. 60s. Welcome sorry, to the 60s. The 60s. You're right. In these, they mentioned the 50s at one point. In the 60s in Baltimore, and she is in love with dancing, and there's a dancing show that she wants to be on. There's a lot of uh, racial um, undertones in how like there is like, a specific day where black dancers can be on, but like it's it's not. It feels very much like um, seg- 
basically a whole segregation um, undertones of that, uh, keeping that apart. Um, she tries to break down the barriers, and in the end, um, they dance their way to a um, a black hairspray queen. Is that what they call it? Hairspray, Miss, Miss, Miss Hairspray. Miss Hairspray. Miss Hairspray. Um, to break down those barriers and integrate the show. Well done. There's a lot. I mean, it's it's a right. lot deeper than you, especially you were giving your um, expectations of this. And I was like, so there's a lot of layers here that we need, we're going to unpack. So yeah, definitely a lot going. Um, why don't you read your uh, cheat sheet there? Oh, jeez. The first phrase already has me laughing. Whenever you're ready. Give me a second. <laughs> I don't know why it's so hard for me every time. <laughs> you have the easiest job. You just have to read words. I know, but when it starts off with pleasantly plump teenager, <laughs> I don't know how you're expecting me not to laugh. <laughs> okay. Pleasantly plump teenager, Tracy Turnblad auditions to be on Baltimore's most popular dance show, The Corny Collins Show, and lands a prime spot. Through her newfound fame, she becomes determined to help her friends and end the racial, racial segregation that has been a staple of the show. Yeah. Yeah. But can we go back to her name is Tracy Turnblad? Turnblad. Turnblad. It's like they decided to make a really unnecessarily tricky name. Turnblad. Her name is Tracy Turnblad and her best friend is Penny Pingleton. Mm -hmm. And her mom loves to say P words. If you like pay attention, Mm -hmm. she, I mean, she's talking about like she wants her pleats pressed in her laundry and like every, everything her mom said is Uh, very like alliteration heavy. Yeah. Got a lot of plosives there. Um, I just think Turnblad. Like you're you're making a, a a movie, a show, a story, and you're coming up with character names. Why Turnblad? Apologies to anyone whose name is actually Turnblad. It just seems like an unnecessarily like tongue twister name. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyways, just I hadn't really it, like thought about it until I saw it written out there. It's a tough one. Was the movie what you expected? Obviously, you've seen it a lot. Yes. Not quite. Um. To an extent, figured about a dancing, a lot of like I need to work my way onto this show movie set cast whatever to get there i thought the hairspray would be much more front and center on this and did not expect all of the segregation backstory segregation integration backstories were you expecting the 1960s setting no i guess i was expecting more like 80s okay i can see that being like hair metal like you know Mm -hmm. hairspray like just being out of that era but but hair metal you got to be able to let your hair run free hairspray i don't know it's like this is the hair that I have. I don't really ever use hairspray. I don't really know its its use, why, or how yeah. to use it. Hairspray holds it in place. Your hair does not move when you use hairspray. <laughs> Back in college, uh, one of our friends sprayed with a big, sexy hair. Big, sexy hair, Big, yeah. sexy hair in my hair. And I just remember being like, oh, God, is this going to like permanently alter the hair that I have? And being afraid of that. I have no idea what hairspray does or how it no. works. It just holds your hair in place, especially if you have straight hair, when you're trying to curl it, you want to use hairspray because it will hold mm. the curls. And especially with the, the like, um, ratting of the hair to mm. get it to stand up, um, and have the curl at the bottom, you want that, they wanted it very stiff. So when they were dancing and moving around, that hair did not move. Gotcha. I just don't shower for a couple of days and then it kind of like moves like the way and stays away on it. <laughs> Boys are weird, man. Different ways to get to the same thing. Uh, how well, did this movie age again a time period piece the musicals are period pieces mm-hmm. 
I mean, they are all about a decade or a period of time. Chicago in the 20s, this in the 60s, um, Greece in the 50s, Music Man in the early 1900s, Oklahoma mm-hmm. in the early 1900s. Like, they are all capturing their time capsule movies. Everyone's to a different time, play, time period and just kind of, like, dance their way through it. Um, We're trying to, to turn really bad, horrible history into yeah. slightly pleasant history. Make everything sound like it was so up By dancing and, and singing. Yeah, to take a really heavy topic. And then make yeah, it seem rent, all, all bright. Rent in the eighties with, yeah, like, with that. AIDS. Like mm-hmm. we, so, I guess we just, we have to sing through what's tough. It's one way to get through a topic. I guess now everyone wants these really dark biopics and like covering really heavy things with a lot of like emotion, I guess in the two thousands, especially everyone wanted to kind of just dance their way through it yeah. and sing their way. So they didn't have just to really kind of address smile and it, sing. I guess. Um, yeah, it, uh, it aged well, I thought, um, Zac Efron looked like he was about six years old, but um, everyone else aged, I guess. Um, could the movie be made today? Yes. Yeah. I don't it's about a certain period of time. I mean, I will say when this came out, I was like, oh, we're so beyond all of this. Wrong. Yeah, definitely not. Uh, definitely a lot of that, those undertones still, still existing today and a lot of those um, issues, especially. But I think... I don't think, think the subject matter um, could have been made today. And I think they very much could make just a modern day remake and it wouldn't seem out of place by mm-hmm. any means. Definitely. Did they say the title of the movie in the movie? Yes. A whole bunch of times. Now, I'm just, honestly not as many times as I thought. I honestly thought, like like I said, the Hairspray product would be featured more often. It was definitely heavily featured in the beginning and a little bit towards yeah. the end. I, and I think it was kind of a lot more like subtle in the background. Like someone was always, almost always spraying their hair like before a take of the Corny Collins show or in, excuse me, in the hallway at school. Mm-hmm. There was there was always like a little bit of that in the background of a lot of scenes. But yeah, I, I the title has always been weird for me because I know we're going to go into does the title fit the movie? Mm-hmm. I, th- I think like these Broadway shows, they just want a... One word, mm-hmm. Oklahoma, rent, Chicago, hairspray. Like they like those like short, concise mm-hmm. titles. Yeah. And it, it fits fine, I guess. I can't think of a better name off the top of my head for this one. Um, it would have to be really long to like really cover the very long, right, deep a, meanings of this. Is it's got to be like a really like a several word um, title to, to get that. And I can see that really wanted to focus on just the hairspray aspect of it. And I, I think that very much defines that decade of the sixties of, you know, hair was a big deal and mm-hmm. the wardrobe, which I'll get into later. Um, I guess does it fit when you think of it, the hairspray, it's like something you apply on top to kind of make everything seem perfect when it's really not and hold mm-hmm. that in place and hold on to that. Ooh. Is that the deeper meaning there? Ooh. <laughs> Getting deep. With all this, it's like trying to hide all the imperfections of like society and have everyone hold this pose so everything looks perfect in that moment, but you know that it's all fake. Nailed it. Got it. So that's what they were going Done. for. 100%. <laughs> Move on. Next question. Uh, were there any actors that went on to do bigger things? I would say pretty much everybody was an established actor except this was Nikki Blonsky who played Tracy Turnblad this was her film debut she didn't really go on to do much more I think she did a couple other smaller things but like this was her big thing and everybody else was kind of a big name this came out like so long ago and she's only two years older than us but like she's Mm -hmm. not done much since then but she's only like 34 so Mm -hmm. and and it was like a I think it was a casting call like we need somebody to fill this role Mm mm-hmm 
and she just happened to get it from what I remember. And she fills the role very well. But otherwise, I mean, like Amanda Bynes had been huge on like all that. And they made a show before that. Christopher Walken for a million things. Zac Efron, they'd already done High School Musical. He was musical. in his High School Musical Prime. Um, like I said, High School Musical 2 came out a couple months after this. Um, or a that, month after this. James Marsden, I believe he maybe already done The Notebook around this time. Yes. Before that, yeah. I think, I think Notebook was, was like, oh, th- three or four. Or four. Yeah. Uh, Britney Snow and a bunch of things. Um, Michelle like Pfeiffer, American Queen Latifah. Latifah. John Travolta had been in a couple things maybe before that. Maybe. Uh, Jerry Stiller. A whole... Uh, uh, just a whole lot of uh, actors. I don't know if anyone really went on to do bigger things after this, like you said. Um, what's her name? Um, Nikki Blonsky. Nikki, Nikki Blonsky. Uh, this was like her her big thing. was really much beyond that. So I would say. Um, can I really. also just say, I really loved, obviously I've seen this movie a bazillion times, so I know everybody that's in it. But mm-hmm. the first five minutes, he was like, is that Zach Efron? Is that, or you knew John Travolta? Like, yeah. Is that Brittany Snow? Is that like, so-and-so? like I mean, every time somebody new came on the screen, it was like, is that so-and-so? Is that so-and-so? And I was like, yep, yep, yep. Packed yeah, cast. I, I didn't say in the before show, but I was pretty sure that John Travolta was in this as a woman. I didn't want to embarrass myself, though. <laughs> you know I'm able to edit that stuff out. But I was pretty sure. Um, but anyways, what movie do you, what impact do you think this movie had on pop culture? This movie particularly, I don't really think had it a big mm-hmm. impact. So I don't know if you know this, but it is based on a non-musical movie that came out in 1988. Mm-hmm. And then they turned it into a Broadway production, I believe, in two thousand two, maybe. So I think the original was like probably pretty big and well known. According to my quick Wikipedia research, you are correct. Yes, like I said, this this movie is deep rooted, mm-hmm. deeply rooted in my in my mind. That I think this movie, not particularly the original, obviously had a big impact because mm-hmm. it was then turned into a Broadway show and very popular on Broadway. Um, I don't know if I saw it in New York. I've definitely seen it either in on broad off Broadway or maybe I did see it when we went to New York. I've seen it in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Seen it live. Yes. And um I mean I think it covers very similar to rent a lot of very deep and heavy topics and um has its place in the cultural mm-hmm. And I think like we kind of talked about like this like not even decade but like five years span i think there were so many big musicals that that came out with a b- lot of big uh star-studded casts or i guess in the case of rent it wasn't necessarily star-studded but um that i think this was kind of like a, a more of a look into what kind of movies were being made in the you know 2000s like as musicals covering heavy topics a lot of you know big colorful dances on top of that um and i've heard a lot of people reference hairspray and its soundtrack that i feel our next question feel culture after watching it yeah, I feel cultured now that I know the whole story and can relate to when people mention the movie or the soundtrack itself. Mm-hmm. And I mean, feeling cultured, it also kind of encapsulates a period of American history that, you know, you feel cultured mm-hmm. getting a peek into. Obviously, it's a little dramatized, but you kind of get a peek into being in that time and other things that people were going through and can't help but feel cultured from that, too. Mm hmm. I love this movie. Um, and so that's our questions. Um, Would you like to go first? I will go first this week. Uh, my first note being that this was not all singing. Um, we have seen or mentioned in the past about like the, I mentioned earlier, the balance of the singing to dialogue. And some of the earlier musicals we saw, it was so much dialogue, especially with singing in the rain, so much talk, dialogue before you even got to the first song. This one felt like a, a very good mix. Like I said, I kind of prefer 
a lot of songs with a, a bit of dialogue to kind of give you a mental break and tie the story together when they need to kind of take a breather. Mm-hmm. Um, the next note I had was all of the actors that I just mentioned that were that were in this, um, Anna Bynes, Christopher Walken, Zac Efron, etc. cetera. Uh, my, my next note was being the amount of hairspray they were spraying just on the um, the set they were showing for the... Corny Collins show. Corny Collins show. Um, I was like, so many CFCs. Just thinking back to like, you know, in the 90s, 2000s, just every, the big focus on like CFCs and all of these, mm-hmm. um, all of these like spray aerosol products and the hairspray itself. And like, they made a couple of references, like kind of coughing later on and like breathing it all in. But I'm like, I just ugh, did not love the idea of breathing all that in, especially just even thinking the, the ozone layer crisis and everything that kind of mm-hmm. came. Kind of on that similar note, I felt like this movie did a really good job of like, making very obvious jokes that were still funny. Like they were all coughing when they were spraying the hairspray or mm-hmm. ca- like the two women in the bar that were um, smoking cigarettes and drinking martinis very. that were very, very pregnant and kind of mm-hmm. being like, oh, how glamorous. Like, or in the seatbelts hanging out of the car while the kids mm-hmm. jumped around in the back where the y- you watch it at, in today's times and are so appalled or like, oh my God, I can't believe that would happen. Mm-hmm. But that was just of the time. And I, I feel like a lot of those jokes were really, really well done. Yeah, I can't wait to see people's takes on like the 2020s and what our life is like that we just like completely obliviously did things that were super detrimental, but um, I'm sure it'll be a lot. Uh, My next note being that this felt very much or very similar to American dreams. The the show that we, I think I mentioned on this uh, podcast before that we, we loved with Brittany snow and like they had American bandstand on that show, but they said had a very similar, the corny Collins show, uh, musical dancing mm-hmm. thing that I just got a lot of similar vibes from that from the very beginning. Yeah, and I think that's why I loved the movie so much when I saw it the first time anyways, because I'd watched that and then grew up living with a mom who watched American Bandstand in, in like the real time and then mm-hmm. watching American Dreams and then seeing this and just that idea of everybody, of everybody gathering to watch the show. Obviously, mm-hmm. this is a little bit more local and, you know, the teens being these like, idols but like the the dance and the music was just such i think a part of this time period and having like all, you didn't have itunes or youtube or whatever or tiktok yeah <laughs> no, <laughs> definitely no tiktok no smartphones to scroll through that like this was your way of being kind of like in tune to culture mm-hmm. and i feel like that's just so interesting because that's obviously not how things are now I love like the the bit about them in the beginning, like rushing them to watch this, and they're sitting there trying to dance along to like what they're seeing on TV. And I can imagine like trying to pick up like little bits of like dance moves from all of these episodes you watch and trying to tie them together to like actually dancing. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, everyone kind of takes it for granted because you can look it up whenever. That um, I wouldn't even think to really do that anymore. Mm-hmm. And so much of what you said, like rushing home, like you had to be home because if you missed it, like you missed mm-hmm. the beginning or you missed whatever. Like, and now everyone's in the dance move tomorrow and you don't even know, you mm-hmm. never it's, saw it. It started at that time and you needed to be home at that time to watch it. And then uh, like you can't watch the YouTube video over and over again or you can't like record it on your VHS to rewind and watch it again. Like you have to be home and you have to just kind of pick it up as you're watching. And mm-hmm. that's something that's, not the case anymore it's crazy mm-hmm. um so britney snow at one point when she was like making a joke um she mentioned cinemascope mm-hmm. or making an insult she mentioned cinemascope and i believe that's a topic we covered um earlier on with like the um todd ao todd ao like widescreen format i believe that that's what she was referring to with the cinemascope right um so i don't actually know i know what i know of cinemascope from this movie because mm-hmm. they say it a couple times 
And I think we were talking about it at dinner the other night about um, Technicolor. Mm -hmm. And I was saying Cinemascope, but I meant Technicolor because we had yeah. done Technicolor on this. But I don't really actually, I never I never looked up what Cinemascope I believe was. Cinemascope was what I mentioned as the alternative to with Tadeo where they had multiple cameras to do a widescreen format versus Tadeo being the single camera to get that same mm -hmm. shot. So I guess she's saying we need that wider angle because right. you are bigger than all of us who don't eat anything. Right. So I thought that was a very interesting way of like an insult, also tying back to what we've covered previously mm -hmm. on Culture Night Pod. Yeah, I was about to be like, do we need to behind the screens CinemaScope next week? Maybe. Um, and then my last note being that this movie was rated PG. And I thought that the topics covered and some of the content just seemed much like a lot beyond PG. Yeah, there wasn't really like cussing or nudity or anything like that, but just some of the... Um, language used especially in some of the topics i felt was a bit darker than just a pg movie that i think it must have been right on that borderline of pg-13 and they probably negotiated with the um censors to say we're gonna keep it just below mm -hmm. i think if this had come out in like 97 it would have been mm -hmm. pg-13 like if it had come out like 10 or 20 years earlier it might have fallen mm -hmm. a little bit more into that pg-13 Mm -hmm. or like, but I kind of think we were kind of getting into the the lower the rating, the more people that can watch this kind of mm -hmm. era of like, let's make more money. Let's just kind of push it a little bit. Or nowadays, even 15 years later, I feel like nowadays people are much more up in arms about anything they, they show on True. TVs and movies. It's We, we live in weird times always. That, always. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But that was just my, my last note was about the, the PG rating. It just seemed like it, it didn't quite fit, but I can see how they would have wanted to keep it um, – below PG-13 just for mm -hmm. larger audience. And I mean, I, th I do think if you are younger, you get caught up in the the happy music and the smiling and the dancing and the pretty colors and the, um, mm -hmm. you, you kind of, you, you're there for the deeper meaning, but you don't fully wrap your head. I mean, how many song lyrics did we sing as children that we had no clue what they were? Exactly. Until we were older that so like- So many songs go over people's heads too. Yeah. And that this is so upbeat and cheery that mm -hmm. like- it, Maybe it was just like we'll just get more bodies in the like, door. Wow, they they can sing, they can dance. These are this is fun. This is catchy. Yeah, yeah. You look past it. All right, you ready for me? Sure. All right. So uh, my first note is, and I kind of continued throughout the movie, but the logistics of the first song of "Good Morning Baltimore." So she's laying in bed, mm -hmm. and then she wakes up and she gets dressed, and she's kind of like dancing through her house, and just how long it must have taken to shoot that whole scene, because she starts, she's in one room, and then she dances to another room, and then she dances to another room, and then she dances out to the street, and then she goes farther down the street, and just, and then like, she's on a dump truck. Right? And she, she has to stop the dump truck, truck, and then she gets on the truck, and then like mm -hmm. gets to school eventually that I feel like that must have been such a pain to choreograph, first of all. Mm -hmm. And like, and if you do one step wrong, then you've got to reset back so much farther. And just, I don't know, I, I think- At least I think of this, the ones singing and dancing, that was just her for that one, as opposed to other mm -hmm. more coordinated ones. But I think having done this podcast for so long now, it's like you're, you think a, a lot more about the behind the scenes things as opposed to just like, oh, I'm watching this movie and she's singing the song and just like going about her day. But it's like the amount of things that would have to- be reset every time mm -hmm. is just wild. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure it was obviously not one continuous take, but it was a lot of, especially, you know, we houses nowadays are a lot more open floor plan and a lot more, you know, mm -hmm. big open spaces. Whereas the houses in downtown Baltimore in the sixties are these very small divided places. So you're kind of confined yeah. to the small spaces. I think back to what you covered though with Greece and the like what hand 
mm-hmm. dancing, whatever thing that they did. They had to like so many takes for it. At least with this, it was just one person and they have kind of the digital advantage of saying we can quickly um, see whether or not it, you hit it right or we can edit it later and fix it in post. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully it went a little bit easier than trying to you know coordinate 100 people doing oh, the yeah. exact same dance move in sync. Definitely. Um, I just uh, d- mm-hmm. definitely was interesting. Yeah, definitely would have been interesting to see a um, just a raw shot of like that entire mm-hmm. you know, or even just like a piece of added on a piece of, of paper that someone was like, okay, we're gonna start here and we're gonna and then we need to pan to here and we need to do this and like just what that shot list looked like. I'm sure, that's super interesting. My next note is wardrobe with the heart eyes emojis. Ever since I first watched this movie, I have been obsessed with the wardrobe, just like the bright colors and the dresses. I mean. I am not one to wear dresses all day, every day, or Mm -hmm. ever, much to our three-year-old's dismay. (laughs) If it was up to her, I'd wear dresses all day, every day. But just the idea that you just wake up and you put on this, like, I mean, in my mind, this fancy dress every day and you do your hair in this wardrobe is not something I would want to do every day, but it's just a very beautiful aesthetic Mm -hmm. and just everybody's so well put together. And I mean, thinking about what people wear now. All the hairspray, they're hiding all their imperfections underneath. (laughs) You're just so deep. Again. <laughs> but also just think about like what, what you wore to high school. What did all mm-hmm. the like boys wear to high school and all the like sweatpants and the t-shirt and fl- shorts. Yeah. And then, you know, <laughs> Link Larkin's wearing a suit to school. Mm-hmm. That is just such a different time period. Yeah, I loved all the guys like in the bathroom getting their hair ready and like they're like posed to like get their hair slicked back and in like just seemed so over the top. Right. And I mean, especially in 2007, Thanks mostly to Zac Efron. The longer, like, swoopy hair, Justin Bieber was so in that mm-hmm. this idea of, you know, having to carry, always carry a comb with you so you can comb your hair back. And the gel. It's so wild. It's such mm-hmm. a different time. And then, like you said, Zac Efron is an infant. Obviously, I went and saw this movie in 2007 because I loved him, slash, still do. But it's a little weird watching this being in my 30s. <laughs> Just looking at him being like, he's so little. This is clearly before his like, you know, I'm in Baywatch. I need to like get absolutely ripped out of control mm-hmm. like phase where it's like, yeah, I can see where he was like the, the teenage like heartthrob, but he looks so little, yeah, so I f- dainty. I feel a little creepy being like, I love mm-hmm. you so much, <laughs> but I know you look like much more mature and older now, but mm-hmm. watching this in hindsight, it was a little alarming. I even, I mean, I like it texted a picture to my friends and was like, oh my God, I feel really creepy. <laughs> but I feel like how much longer between this was like that awkward moment was that there was like 20 14 i think it was 14 was it was say either like 13 or 14 because okay. i i feel like i saw it, so in it was grad a, school. a good deal after that okay yeah he does seem a lot older in that movie yeah six years at that age in life is a big difference um and i don't know if you noticed i did not point it out while we were watching but when they pan down the street of baltimore before they cut over to um, her dad's joke shop there is a um some business that has Acme in the title. Ah, I did not see that. And I, I was going to pause it and have you rewind it. And I felt like too much mm-hmm. work, but there was another reference to that. We're just kind of filling in background stuff here. Acme. Oh man, I missed that. No, I, I did see the Domino sugar, um, mm-hmm. like factory, whatever. I did not see the Acme, but man. Yes. I was like, Oh, that, and it was, it was super quick. And I think like, I don't know how I saw it. I'm, mm. I've obviously seen this movie a million times and never noticed anything like that, but um, just a fun little callback to our Acme, Acme research. Yeah. Um, and then I feel like we need to talk about John Travolta a little bit, yeah. especially because we have done Grease in this season and to go from Danny Zuko, basically the Link Larkin of the mm-hmm. time to uh, 
Edna Turnblad is quite a uh, character arc for John Travolta. Yeah, I need a lot more like breakdown on that. I I don't know why. Um, I can tell you that 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 Ed, uh, that Tracy's mom is always played by a man mm-hmm. on Broadway or wherever. Like I think in the original movie, I think it was just it's. I don't know why, mm-hmm. but it has always been played by a man. When I saw it on Broadway, it was. It was I a think man. I'd heard that. I still like don't fully get it. But I also th- was thinking halfway through or like uh, very early on, I guess after seeing the character, was um, it would have been well cast if they had picked, um, what's her name? That was in um, White Lotus and Legally Blonde. Jennifer Coolidge? Yeah. Uh, she could have done pretty good Jennifer too. Jennifer Coolidge would have been a great like cast to, to play an actual woman there. And I think she could have really crushed it. Yeah, I, I can see that. But I will say, I, I feel like he does a really good job. I very much buy... I buy it. Yeah, but he also had like a weird, um, like Lauren Michaels, like slash. I think it's supposed um, to be that Baltimore. Farley, like he was trying a to Baltimore like accent. accent. Maybe it didn't really, it didn't really land well. The the accent is a little weird. Also, I've seen this movie so many times that I think that I just that's he is that character to me. And even watching Greece mm-hmm. was kind of hard for me because I had seen Greece before this. Like I was not that uncultured as a child. But he just so much is this role to me now that it is hard for me to watch John Travolta act in anything else because this was so much a part of that like six like, I mean, teenage years for me that it's it's weird. He's just become such a like a uh, larger than life person that I can't even like imagine like him being an actual human at this point. Um, yeah. But it just it just felt kind of weird. Like I said, it felt like it felt like Chris or John Travolta playing Chris Farley playing Lauren Michaels like trying to really <laughs> that's a really it's a weird arc but yeah. it's, it tracks it, i just couldn't really like take him seriously and i guess also knowing that this is john travolta playing this just it kind of killed it for me i wish they'd either like come up with like some more unknown person or just had jennifer coolidge like mm-hmm. play it. i i very much can see jennifer coolidge doing a really good job with mm-hmm. the role but um, so if they remade it today then. <laughs> um but I also just having, before I even went into this, I knew that that character was always played by a man, that that kind of, it just was what it is. Um, and then I made another note, the more songs to dialogue than I remember just, mm-hmm. and I kept being like, oh, like, I love that song. And then I was like, oh, wait, we're already going into this next song. I was not prepared for this. And mm-hmm. I love that like moment where you can tell that like they, they're quickly cutting into the next song. They kind of like paused. You hear like the, the, the note of like, the, yeah. Um, so that's kind of the end of my written notes, but I just want to talk about the soundtrack for a second. And I, and not necessarily just the soundtrack, but just like the style of music of that time. And it's obviously very different from what is currently popular and what was popular in 2007, mm-hmm. but it, it just has this like, makes you want to dance, like upbeat, like happy, mm-hmm. comforting feeling. And I just love it so much. I know. I kept thinking like, man, I wish I could dance like that. Or just like, obviously a lot of these are all these songs are very well choreographed but i'm like man it's so cool like they've got these songs going on these songs going on everyone's just dancing and like hopping mm-hmm. in like it's so mm-hmm. cool that doesn't happen in real life but very yeah cool. i kept being like so like little inez is just jumping in at the end because link larkin was like come on in and they can just like both just dance together mm-hmm. to the song and you just know how to like what the other is gonna do i don't know it's crazy yeah it'd be nice mm-hmm. if everyone could do that yeah but on that same note i also have my DVD copy that I oh I hid from you because I didn't want you to see who all was in it and I wanted mm-hmm. you to be surprised. But 
I went out. I, I'm pretty sure the DVD for this came out after I had my license because I did not have my driver's license when this came out. But once the DVD came out, I feel like I remember going to Walmart on my way to school to buy this DVD so that after school, I had to have it at school so that so you could shoot all your friends after school. I could go home and watch this. But don't worry, I spent the extra money to buy the two disc Shake and Shimmy edition. What does it even mean? Um, it has a sing along with the movie using the lyric track. It also has step by step dance instructions, which you best believe I spent hours learning and still like kind of know to this day. I don't. I thought I knew more than I did, but watching it, I was like, yeah, I don't really fully remember this. And as all other like the classic DVD extras that we've talked about, I should have made you dance all these like while they're. I'm shocked you didn't because as soon as Ladies' Choice came on, I was like, I know the dance to this, (laughs) and I was expecting you to be like, okay, show me. And I was like, well, betraying my whole life for this moment. If you don't ask, you're not going (laughs) to get to see it. So, my classics Mm. and and oh, I will put these on our stories, but this is just for you on YouTube. It comes with this where you can punch out Tracy's face and put it over your face. <laughs> and like, here's her. I still have her face in here. <laughs> <laughs> That's so creepy. <laughs> right. And then mm-hmm. the insides, like like in nowadays, like you said, this was before Twitter. On the insides, it's instructions. It's like det- detach Tracy's face, attach to a close-up picture of yourself, blah, 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 and display your hairspray photo frame for all the world to see. Now it would be like, use hashtag blah, 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 mm-hmm. or like hashtag hairspray, whatever, to well, share you your, your photo. official hairspray fan code on the back there. Where I could win a trip for four for Carnival Cruise Line. There you go. <laughs> but it was just like, I hadn't opened a DVD case in a while, and I opened this this morning, and I was like, oh my God. I am still so nostalgic for like the DVD era of just obviously like VHS was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and like this DVD is a two disc. Was, you never knew what you were going to get. Right. What DVD extras? Is it going to be a game? Is it going to be um, some dance lessons? Is it going to be just a, a commentary track? Mm-hmm. You never know. And you you made fun of me earlier because you were like, you know, like, do we have access to this movie? And I was like, mm-hmm. well, worst case scenario, we have the DVD and you kind of rolled your eyes. But I'm like, now don't you want to watch all these DVD behind the scene extras? Mm-hmm. There's some good stuff. The Roots of Hairspray. Hairspray extensions, breaking down the dance scenes. You can't stop the beat. The long journey of hairspray documentary. There's gold. We're gonna be busy for the next week. <laughs> you know what we're doing. So, anyways, I just had to bring that up because mm-hmm. I just I love it so much. <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps up. I think hairspray. Yeah, you, our, you our can notes. you can cut me off. <laughs> yeah. Um. Obviously, there's a lot more to unpack, and I can't wait to see what your deep dives entail for next mm-hmm. week. And we can also cover CinemaScope on the behind the screens. Yeah, so stay tuned to see what we come up with and what I dive from the vault of my brain, let alone the internet, because I do know a lot about this movie. Don't go too deep. Um, <laughs> but uh, follow us on YouTube and Instagram. At Culture Night Pod. If you have any questions or comments or things you want to see us do, we are getting close to the end of a season. So if you have suggestions or thoughts you can always email us at culturenightpod at gmail.com and if you are enjoying the podcast wherever you are listening to it or watching it make sure you subscribe or rate and review mm-hmm. and um we'll catch you next week for another musical yep i think we maybe have one more so cheers for one right. more week cheers <laughs>